Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. My name is Nick, for those who I do not know, and it's always a privilege and a pleasure to be able to open up God's Word with you and worship together. So I'm excited that we get to do that today. I'm also excited that some of my brothers and sisters from the workhouse are here. Praise God. I'm glad we get to worship alongside family this morning. So that's always exciting. And so about a year, a little over a year ago, me and my family moved to Murfreesboro from Texas. While in Texas, I got to experience something that I had never, ever experienced before. And really, it was borderline life-changing, this thing that I got to experience. I was at an event that my church I was working at in Texas was putting on. And I remember I was walking around before the event began, and I walked into the room where they had the snacks. And as I walked into the room... Something caught my eye. This glorious vista of goodness caught my eye. It was this array of nothing but cakes. I had never heard of a nothing but cake, and I had no idea what to expect. But I'm a fan of some pound cake, and these were like pound cake babies. And I was like, yes, glory, hallelujah. So I walked over towards the display of this glorious, glorious sight, and they had all kinds of nothing but cakes. They had the strawberry one. They had, a, I mean, just an array, and then this one caught my eye, which I found out later is the number one seller, seller and it's the chocolate, chocolate chip bunk cake. Oh, glory. And, and it has cream not, not just cream cheese icing, y'all, but like the most perfect cream cheese icing, and it's like the right amount with every bite. It's glorious. And the people there was like, hey, Nick, if you think it looks good, you should try it. And y'all, I put this buttery goodness in my mouth, and it, it changed me, y'all. Like, I had a moment. I was like, God, I know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are moving through this cake. And this thing, here's the thing, this thing is perfect. Whoever made it, the baker who made it, measured out everything so perfectly. They had some forethought as to how it was going to be baked and how to present it. So it really is perfect the way that it is, and it doesn't need anything added to it. But what if I was to tell you, you know, growing up, growing up, you know, my family was just a ketchup family, y'all. We added ketchup to everything. In the morning, the ketchup was there to go over the eggs. At lunchtime, it was there. At dinner time, it was there. And, you know, I just grew up with ketchup. It's just who I was. I mean, that's what my family did. So everything that I'm served to eat, it must need ketchup from my vantage point. But you would look at me and go, hey, Nick, if you add ketchup to that bunk cake, I will cut you, Right? But I would say to you, but y'all, y'all don't understand. It's just kind of the way I grew up. It's just who I am. Like, you just need to add ketchup to everything because ketchup, as we know, makes everything better. But you would look at me and you would go, hey, Nick, that nothing but cake doesn't need any ketchup. And I would say, I hear you. The cream cheese is awesome and the cake is awesome, but I'm just a ketchup person. I just love me some ketchup. And y'all would go, whoa. <gasps> Here's the deal, though. See, today we're going to see in Acts chapter 15 that there were a group of people 
that said this perfect, sufficient gospel of Jesus needed something additional. See, in and of itself, it was not good enough. And see, there's nothing wrong with ketchup, but when you add ketchup to a perfect bunk cake, it ruins it. And so there were some believers that thought, you know what? We need to make this gospel even better. And so they tried to add something to it. And today we are going to see as we navigate the pages of Scripture is that the gospel of Jesus doesn't need anything additional. It is sufficient. Christ's payment on the cross and his resurrection from the grave is more than enough for everyone. It doesn't need anything additional. And so today, we get the opportunity to dive in and see that truth and be reminded of this gospel of Jesus that invites everyone in. Doesn't matter where you're from, what you have done, all are invited to his table. There is nothing additional needed. Before we dive in, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your gospel is enough. Lord, thank you that there is nothing we can do to add to your gospel Lord, really, your perfect gospel is only for the accepting. That is the only thing required is accepting it. So, Father, may we not feel obligated to add or be good enough because we're not good enough. But your gospel is no less sufficient. It meets us where we are, and not only does it meet us where we are, but it not only makes us better, it calls us from death to life. So over the next few moments... As we navigate your word, will you remind us of the goodness of your gospel? Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. So Paul and Barnabas were on a missionary journey. They were taking this gospel far beyond where everyone or anyone thought it would go. And there are Gentiles who have been excluded for a long time who are accepting this gospel that Jesus has given to us. But yet there were some people that said, you know what, I hear what you're saying about that gospel, but that gospel needs a little something extra. Because we're used to it being presented this way. You have to do a part of it in order for it to really stick. And so we're going to see that because of this sharp disagreement that the early church, as it's being unleashed, had to come back to its roots and go, what is the gospel and is the gospel enough? The good news is they figured out that Jesus' gospel is sufficient for each and every one of us. So let's begin to navigate the text in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. The gospel doesn't need any additives. 
See, there was a group of people that thought, no, 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 no. You have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. But the gospel of Jesus doesn't require any additional things to it. It is sufficient in and of itself. And maybe you're sitting here and you have been a part of church for a while, or maybe this is your first time in church and you're wondering, what is the gospel? The gospel is this. God took a step towards us, his creation, because we began to rebel against him. And he knew that we were not capable of answering our need. See, because of our sin and disobedience, it caused a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father. But instead of waiting for us to try to work our way back to him, he took the first step, sent his son Jesus, which was him in flesh, lived perfectly for 33 years, surrendered his life on a cross, and three days later was resurrected from the grave and is now reigning and ruling over death. And we get to be a part of his completed work that he did on the cross. That is the gospel. And I love over the canon of scripture, we can see this gospel repeated and repeated. See, God's whole word is a narrative of how God has redeemed a people such as us. From the pages of Genesis to the pages of Revelation, it's unfolding this redemptive plan that God had in mind way before we ever rebelled. In John 3, 16 through 17, a very familiar verse for many of us, it says this, for God. It always began with God, everybody. Like, it wasn't because we decided one day, hey, I don't want to rebel anymore. I don't like dwelling in my death. No, God always takes the first step. That is his nature. Why does God take the first step? Because he so loved the world. God's step was motivated by love for you and for I. His love was motivated from the fact that we were his children that he was calling back home, and he knew there was no way for us to get back to the Father except if he paid the debt that we couldn't pay. That he gave freely. It's a gift. That he gave his one and only son. The most important thing to him, he gave, he surrendered. That is Jesus. That whoever believes in him, who? Y'all better say that with some confidence. Who? Whoever. That means it doesn't matter where you're from or how much money is in the bank or how many sins you have committed. It means that this gospel that Jesus died on the cross to give to us is for you. And a lot of us have gotten very good at going, well, it doesn't mean for me. Only you can exclude yourself. Jesus invites you. He invites you. It says, for whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That means we get to be with him forever. And while we're here on earth, we get to present this gospel that we have tasted of and share it with others so that others can taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Let's pause right here. God is not mad at you. God is not up in heaven thinking of all the ways he could smite you. Because if he wanted to smite you, guess what? You'd be gone. But God loves you. His motivation has always been love. And he says Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, meaning he is not mad at you, but to save the world through him. I love how Paul writes it to the church at Colossae. It's so beautiful how he describes this gospel of Jesus. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made you alive with Christ. Paul's like, hey, even when you were running from me, even when you didn't accept my love, I still allowed my son to die for you. He goes on to say this. He forgave us all our sins. How many does all include? Y'all are smart. Come on, y'all going to get a hang of it. All of them. Even those ones that you keep in darkness and you try to hide. He died for those too. Even those that you say, man, I can't believe I would partake and do those things. Even those broken sins, even those brokenness in our life. He died for all of them. Verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. That means we had a debt. Our sin cost us something. You see in the old scripture navigation that every time you sinned, you had to sacrifice something in order to cover your sin. But that was only temporary. But through the blood of Jesus, he canceled the debt. It's like this. If I asked you how much debt you had, and you say, well, Nick, this is how much, and I wrote you a check. You wouldn't continue to try to pay for the debt I paid for. No, you would walk in a debt-free living knowing that you no longer have a debt to pay and that now you can run in freedom. He canceled our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. If you're an underliner or even if you're not an underliner or maybe you have your phone, I would highlight this verse. Here's why. Because there are going to be moments where the enemy is going to whisper to you that goes, hey, remember that scene you did? Hey, remember that scene you did? Hey, remember that scene you did? You can remind the enemy that it has been nailed to a cross and been paid in full form. So he doesn't have to keep whispering in your ear because that debt has been paid and you are free. And maybe, just maybe, we will walk in that freedom. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Death doesn't have a hold on us because of Jesus. Jesus overcame the grave. Christ is sufficient. He is more than enough for each and every one of us. Verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So there were some Pharisees that came into a relationship with Jesus. They recognized that he was the Messiah that was prophesied about, and they said Jesus is him. But what he did on the cross was great, but not only did he overcome the grave, but we have to add something else to it. We have to throw in a little of what Moses did and what Moses required. So they said, hey, now circumcision needs to be a part of this equation. And for them, they had spent their whole life checking all the boxes and doing all the right things so that they could taste and see that the Lord was good. And so you can kind of understand why they were hesitant to believe that through Jesus, all you had to do was accept it because that wasn't the rhythm of their life. The rhythm of their life was every time I sinned, I have to kill an animal to cover my sin. I have to check off all these rules and regulations. But Jesus goes, hey, the law was given to show you that you could never fulfill it without me. And they were having a hard time accepting it. It's like you paying for something and then someone coming behind you and giving that thing away for free. You would be a little bothered. Here are where those Pharisees are. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. 
Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. Verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them. It's a strong word by Peter. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. That's a strong no by Paul. There's an exclamation there for a minute. Paul is going, listen. Peter is going, listen. We didn't do anything. We had nothing to bring to the table, but Jesus did it all. We are not to put a yoke on these Gentiles that we can fulfill ourselves. No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. See, a couple of chapters ago in Acts, we saw Peter get sent to a Gentile's house named Cornelius and he preached the gospel to Cornelius' household, and they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter's going, hey, here's what I have seen, and here's what I know. Let me remind you of some truth of the gospel. And he reminds us of a few things about the gospel. Three takeaways about the gospel that Peter reminds us. For one, it is for everyone. And I don't think we can say that enough. It is for everyone. God invites everyone to dine at his table through the completed work of Jesus. The next thing he reminds us of is the Holy Spirit is the evidence. So when we look at people and they have walked in relationship, right relationship with Jesus, there is works of the Holy Spirit that's going to be carried out through them. The Holy Spirit is the evidence. And this last one, the yoke of grace is light. What does that mean? And why do people keep talking about yokes? So in this time that this is written, oxen were used for a lot of things, for farming, for carrying heavy loads. And so the oxen had this yoke around their neck that would pull whatever it was that they needed to pull. And so when I say that the yoke of grace is light, what that means is, is that Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. And he has invited each and every one of us to get in the yoke with him and walk where he is going, knowing that because of what he did, he's carrying all the way. And all we do is accept the grace and walk in it. We don't carry the load because the load crushed us. We couldn't carry it. But because of what Jesus has done through his cross and being resurrected from the grave, his grace, his yoke of grace is a light one, and we get to walk alongside him. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Why did the whole assembly grow quiet? What was there left to say? Like, what are you going to say? It's like, in essence, Paul and Barnabas went and picked an apple from the apple tree and said, hey, I want you to know that that's an apple tree. And they're holding the evidence of that in their hand because fruit doesn't lie. So the assembly had nothing to say. They just went, well, amen. <laughs> You're right. Because the fruit doesn't lie. The evidence of change was undeniable. Verse 13. When they finished... James spoke up. This is the half-brother of Jesus. 
So I kind of see in this moment, James gets up, he's listened to all the discussion, and he's about to speak for the family. And he says this, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. So James quotes the Old Testament. He goes, listen, in Amos it says this about what God was going to do. And we see this prophetic word coming to fruition right here and right now, dear brothers. See, I love that James spoke in the language that the crowd could understand. He says, listen, I know that you hold this up, but I want you to know that God is just fulfilling what he said he would do. And these people who we used to consider them are just now a part of us. Verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So James is talking to the two crowds in the room. To one crowd, the Pharisees, who had come into relationship with Jesus, he said, listen, let us not add to this gospel. Let us not make this yoke heavier than it needs to be because this yoke of grace is light. And to the new Gentile brothers, he looks at them and goes, listen, Because of what Jesus has done, because of you accepting the gospel, walk in freedom and don't cause your brothers to stumble. Verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Basabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad, for it's an encouraging message. We see yet again that the gospel is good news. Verse 32. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessings of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So this church, this early church that was being unleashed, 
had to be reminded about the truth and sufficiency of the gospel. And what I love is that today, here and now, we get to be reminded of the truth and sufficiency of the gospel. The gospel is sufficient. They just got new data that they needed to kind of wrestle with. They had to see that there was a new way that Jesus was doing this. He just fulfilled what he had already told them. See, my kids are in fourth grade and third grade, and I have a four-year-old. And they'll come home with homework sometimes, and they're still doing math, but it's a little different, everybody. And my wife used to be a teacher, and so a lot of times I kind of defer to her, like, hey, baby, why don't you go help the kids? I'll pray for you. Bless it, right? But they are learning a new math. It is still math. It's just new. And here's the thing for us and these believers in this early church. We need a new math that's revealed. And the new math, the new equation that was revealed is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You might be going, well, what does everything mean? Everything is salvation. Everything is Jesus. Everything is life to the full. And only through Jesus we are able to get to that. Jesus doesn't need anything additional. There is nothing more you can do. There is nothing more we can add. But really, the only response that's required of us is accepting the payment that has been paid on our behalf on a cross through the completed work of Jesus. So what that means for us right now is that that means you don't have to clean yourself up to accept this gospel. See, so many of us are going, but Nick, you don't understand all I've done. You don't know the wrongs I've committed. You don't know the way I have not navigated my family dynamic well. Nick, you don't know. I need to clean myself up before I can come to the foot of the cross. Good news for us is that the foot of the cross is level ground. So we can all come. Doesn't matter what our sins were or what we used to do. We can come just as we are. But you might go, but Nick, I don't know enough. I don't understand it all. Nobody does, everybody. There's not a quota of verses you have to have memorized before you can say yes to Jesus. You can say yes to Jesus right here and right now. You can come as you are. Because the gospel is sufficient and Jesus is enough. So maybe for you today... Today is the day where you say yes to the gospel of Jesus, his completed work on the cross, him erasing and paying for every debt, every sin, every shortcoming that you have ever made, and him reigning over death, showing us that death no longer has a hold on us today. And if you say yes to his invitation to walk in right relationship to his completed work on the cross, then it says in the scripture of God that you will be saved. Not maybe. Not hopefully, but you will be. Why? Because the debt has been paid in full. And maybe you're sitting in here and you've already said yes to this beautiful gospel of Jesus, but yet maybe you have been telling people that, hey, once you clean yourself up, then you can come to Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you've been reminded that really the only invitation is come as you are and dine at the table of the king because he invites all. And because of his son and his completed work, you were able to sit and dine and eat until you were full. The only thing required of you 
is to say yes to the invitation. So I don't know where you are. At the end of service, we're going to have some friends down front that would love to talk to you about what the next step looks like for you. If that's saying yes to Jesus for the first time or any other thing, they want to meet you right where they are, where you are. And I can't think of a better way to illustrate the completed work of the gospel than partaking in a meal that has been shared for generations to generations. And we call that the Lord's Supper. It's Jesus taking this Passover meal that was experienced for so long in the history of his people. And him saying, I want you to know that I'm the fulfillment of this supper. I'm the fulfillment of this meal. And with his closest friends, he had them gathered on the eve of when he was going to surrender his life. And he took the bread, which they knew what it meant, but he said, I am this bread. And this bread that we break apart right now in this moment represents my life and my body that's going to be broken on your behalf. And then he took the wine and he said, this wine that we have shared many meals together. But I want you to know that this represents my blood that is going to be shed on your behalf. And I want you to partake in these elements and do it in remembrance of me. See, sometimes it seems silly. Like, how could we forget the goodness of the gospel? But if we're honest and real with ourselves, sometimes we don't live in response to this good gospel. Sometimes life gets in the way, but right now in this moment, some of, my, some of the ushers are going to pass the elements and the band's going to lead us in worship and then I'm going to come back out and we get to partake in a meal together that represents the gospel of Jesus and his completed work on the cross. So I invite you right where you are, pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are sufficient and so is your gospel. Thank you that you are more than enough. Thank you that you have answered our chief need. You have paid a debt that we could not pay for ourselves. And Lord, may we be reminded of the beauty of your gospel that is still powerful, that is still moving, that is still relevant, that still calls dead things to life. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we Get to share a meal with family and be reminded of the beauty of your name. So Jesus, in the next few moments, may we be reminded of what is true. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.